Luke's Gospel. And I'm going to be reading from the literal version. The literal version. Luke 22. And the feast of unleavened bread being called Passover drew near. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how to destroy him. We're reading from Luke 22. Once again, I'll begin verse 1. And the feast of unleavened bread being called Passover drew near. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how to destroy him, for they feared the people. And Satan entered into Judas, the one having been called Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve. Let me pause a moment here to reflect on this. There was no closer association with the living God on earth in the flesh than the association of the 12 men, mere mortals such as ourselves, being with the king and the creator of everything that was ever made. As it is written in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, nothing was made, there is nothing created or made that was not made by him, through him. So they are face-to-face and living with God in the flesh, with such a close association, and most likely in excess of 1,000 days together with him for the three and a half years. In this close association, Satan was able to enter into one who was with the Lord. How is it possible? Where the Lord is in his presence, how can Satan enter into one of his apostles? How is that possible? The answer is, most of us know, is that that particular apostle had some of Satan's traits practiced. Jesus called 12 disciples. Those 12 disciples became 12 apostles. And the scripture expressly states that he chose apostles. The apostles of the Lord, as they were called, during their time with Jesus. The Bible says in Matthew 10, And the names of the twelve apostles are these, 
First, Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus. And Abias, whose last name was Thaddeus. Simon the Canaanite and Judas Iscariot was an apostle who also betrayed him. Jesus sent these 12 out, charging them, saying, and he continues with the ministry. So these are 12 apostles, as it is written in Matthew 10 very clearly. The names of the 12 apostles, and Judas is one of those 12. Now he forfeited the apostleship or the bishopric or the office. And this is the same word for apostles in the Greek, apostolos. That is used also of Paul and others later on. One of the definitions for the apostle, one of them, is a person would have to be in physical association of presence with the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, in Acts chapter 1, this man Judas, who fell from that apostleship and left that seat vacant, had to be replaced by another person who would be worthy. And so the lots were drawn, led by the Spirit of God, as Peter would speak in Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, verse 20, let me go back. In Acts chapter 1, verse 15. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of names together were about in 120, men and brethren, this scripture, it was necessary for this scripture to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before through David's mouth, Concerning Judas, the one having become guide to those seizing Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a portion of this ministry. Notice he had a part in the ministry. Such as this ministry here, El Bethel International Ministries church, which God has birthed, a person can have a part in the ministry and yet forfeit not only the ministry, but the soul. Verse 18, indeed then, this one bought a field out of the reward of unrighteousness. Recall how he received 30 pieces of silver for betraying the Lord Jesus he asked them, what will you give me if I give this man over? I'm ready to do it. I have the inside information. I know exactly where he walks and when to catch him. I'll take you right to him. But what will you give me since you want him so badly? 
I know you want to destroy him. I'm the man to help you do it, but I need wages. I have things I can buy. He would have never thought he would buy a field of blood with that money, but that's how it is with Satan. Loving money and being covetous, having our eyes on material games, can cause us to forfeit our souls. Verse 18, indeed then, this one body field out of the reward of unrighteousness and falling headlong, he burst in the middle and poured out all his bowels. His body was broken up when he fell from hanging himself. And it became known to all those living in Jerusalem. This is Peter talking to the about 120 who were gathered there. He said, you heard of the latest, the latest news? Judas literally was broken. His intestines came out. He was horribly destroyed. This betrayer of the Lord Jesus. Because he took the money, he bought a field from this price of blood, and then he fell, having hung himself. He burst in the middle. His body just burst and poured out all his bowels, his inside organs. What a dreadful end. And it became known to those living in Jerusalem. So as that field to be called in their own dialect, Ekeldama or Aseldama, that is, field of blood. Verse 20, for it has been written in the scroll of Psalms. Let his estate become forsaken and he not be living in it. And let another see his overseership. Therefore it is right that men being together with us all the time in which the Lord Jesus came in and went out among us beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken from us one of these to become a witness of his resurrection with us. This is one of the definitions of the apostle. If they were to be among the 12, and as they were searching for a replacement for Judas, searching under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, the qualification was, it is right that men being together with us all the time in which the Lord Jesus came in and went out among us. Beginning from the baptism of John. Why baptism of John? Because that's when the Lord Jesus was publicly made known. John was specifically sent to meet the Lord Jesus Christ. Baptize him according to God's commandment. Not because Jesus had any sin. He was sinless and always was, always will be. But the Lord was made known during that baptism publicly. And he set a path for people who would follow him thereafter. Of 
real, true dedication and consecration to the living God. God also expects every believer to be baptized with the Holy Spirit after salvation. There are many people in Christian circles that believe that when you get born again, that's when you're baptized in the Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit and all of them you can ever want. It's just a matter of getting to know Him better. It's not the truth. The Spirit of God came upon Jesus Christ in a unique way. But also, after that baptism, He was led into a deep encounter with the forces of hell, which He had to overcome, and He did. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit will prepare a person to do battle with the very sins that plague us by the power of the blood of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. So the Lord modeled that life for us. We simply follow. In any camp that believes that there is no such thing as the baptism of the Holy Spirit or it's when you get born again, they are clearly and sadly forsaking the scriptures, the plain scriptures. The apostles themselves, having been with Jesus and also having delivered people before that on commission by Jesus or from Jesus commissioning them. They also needed to wait in Jerusalem until they really got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Going back to our particular point here. Beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken from us, one of these to become a witness of his resurrection with us. And they set out too. Joseph, he being called Barsabas, not Barabbas, but Barsabas, who is surnamed Justice and Matthias. So there was a Joseph and there was a Matthias. And having prayed, they said, you, Lord, knower of all hearts, show which one you chose from these two to take the share of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas fell to go to his own place. What is this place? Hell. Judas fell to go to hell. He made his choice. He deliberately made his choice to love money. When the Lord kept warning his hearers, don't love money, he was in the crowd, he was listening. He had both public lessons and private lessons. And he laughed at all of it. He said, uh, whatever, I love my money. And nobody's taking my money from me. In fact, when I die, would you please grind my money? Gold or silver coins, copper coins. Make it powder and put it in water so I can drink it as I die. That's how much I love my money. We've shared that with the church before, how even some of our distant relatives actually died in that manner. 
they loved money so much. And so you may have relatives who love money. They love material things. They live for that. The image is so important. It's vital to their lives while they're rotting in the soul. And perhaps someone here today has a love for money that is forbidden by the Lord. It's far more than just using money for the glory of God. It is a desire to hoard money. A desire to flaunt money. And to love the material gain that money affords. There's a true love for God and money. Which amounts to a true love for money and hatred for God. That's what the scriptures declare. It's a caution. It's not a a sermon to preach today or to find something novel to get our emotions riled up and have a nice thinking session. It's the word of God from the Holy Spirit today to warn anyone here, which means all of us, us, including me, to beware that we do not forfeit our souls by ever so slightly inching toward money to love it. Whatever money God gives us, let us be grateful. If he gives you this amount or more than you ever thought possible, glory be to God. Notice, if he gives it to you. You have received it in a righteous way from the hands of Almighty God. Whether through diligent labor, wise investment, or through an unexpected gift from God. Either way, it is the grace of God. And either way, it is to be used for the honor of the living God. Otherwise, no matter which way we have received it, it can become a cause of eternal leprosy for our souls. It's a caution for us. That was the open door for this man, Judas, who not only was called among millions of people, there were 12 seats to be occupied to be near Jesus Christ. And this man, not out of luck, out of the grace of the living God. And so in this church, is it not true? Is it not true? Out of millions and billions, you are among those, as I am, Pascal is, fortunate and blessed to be in the spirit of God's presence where he's moving mightily. We need to hold on to our seat. Otherwise, Satan will kick us off of that seat. This man not only was privileged to get the calling card or the invitation known to him, he showed up and he received his credentials. First, as a Christian, And with a 
emphasis on discipleship. Further, he was exalted to apostleship. He not only saw the miraculous that no one ever saw. He not only saw the face of God in human form. As Jesus told Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me? But this man also actually was instrumental in performing miracles. How much more can a person be exalted? What more can a person desire? And he saw that he was not a beggar pedaling along, hoping that someone would give him a handout as he's following Jesus, being faithful and taking up the cross and following God. He was wonderfully provided for. He saw more bread and fish than he ever saw in his life at one time. Oh, how royally the Lord provided for him. What could have possibly entered into him after being prosperous in soul, in spirit, and in body. Getting to tour with Jesus Christ. It's the sinister, real danger that you and I have today, waiting as a cobra on the sidelines, watching for that opportune time, to strike us. And it only happens to those who take the cautions and warnings of God lightly. Just as a person on a path or a trail who's been warned, warned ample times. Copperheads are on the way, these deadly snakes, be careful. There are pythons there, bow constrictors, and all kinds of dangerous serpents. They're very sly. They may be under leaves. They may mimic branches by their colors, camouflaging themselves. They may even wrap themselves in your equipment around your foot as you walk. Not a sound do they make until it's too late. The person that says, oh, these scare tactics. I've been hiking for, oh, about 53 years. Nothing will ever happen to me. I know all about it. I think you're just overreacting. I know people have died, but not me. I seem to have good luck with me. That day could be the demise of that self-confident fool. Always take caution in the right way. As a father would say to a child, we can hear the tone of this in the book of Proverbs, talking about alcohol, like a adder, a serpent, it may look fine when you look at it in the glass, but it'll kill you if you get mesmerized by its colors. And a host of vices and sins, God warns us. This man was the prime puppet of Satan. Satan found a man, just like God looks for a man whose heart is loyal to him. Satan found someone who's 100% loyal to him. And he dealt in the art of craft and camouflage quite well, so that even his fellow comrades, the disciples, 
The others never suspected him. But the Lord who knows every heart, as we heard Peter declare in Acts chapter 1, Lord, you know all hearts. You know exactly. This fool was fooling himself. This rascal didn't know the rattlesnake would get the last laughs. But he chose it, you see. Because the Lord in his love kept warning the crowd, which included Judas. But he took it all lightheartedly. He thought, not me. Well, I'm with the master. Look where I am. I'm in the church where miracles are happening. I don't have to watch anything. I'm in the elite group. Pride. Self-complacency. Self-confidence. Will cause a hard fall. And when the fall begins, it'll be like an avalanche. Gravity will cause the speed to pick up to a level where it cannot be stopped. But now, we're able to stop that. If we have fear of God's word, that God is not just talking to the group, he's talking to me. Do I love money? How much do I love convenience and pleasure? These are questions I have to ask myself all the time. We do. You see, because we're all on probation, in a sense, until we actually enter heaven physically. We have everlasting life now. But God makes it very clear to us that it's when the wedding party comes and we actually join it, enter in that we're safe, finally. Until then, We are assured of safety so long as we stay with the Savior. So this man lost everything because he was a greedy fellow. There's nothing written about adultery here, but he was spiritually an adulterer. We know all about adultery also. People have an eye and a flirtatious kind of tone and spirit. Uh, Joking and lightheartedness when they should be careful, there's an adder waiting to strike me. Stay clear from the opposite sex. In terms of any kind of signal or flirtatious behavior. Because the Bible says that will take a person to hell, whether man or woman. And many other things. Anger and vengeance, bitterness. Who among us would dare to suppose that a person who still has some trace of anger and bitterness will ever make it to heaven? Because it is for the blameless. So we would do well to say, thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Lord. When people are getting ready for Easter egg hunt, getting ready for a drama on Friday, Good Friday, ritualism, Yes, even among those who claim to be spirit-filled. It's the season, you see, and we go with the flow. Because right after that, we'll have celebration, you see. And then we do it all over again, Christmas and New Year's. and play the part. Like Halloween, I pick the mask for the time, according to my tastes. But I make sure I blend in with the crowd, a chameleon. 
Such people will flee from God's presence on that day. Just as the islands in Revelation, there'll be no place found from. They'll just fly from God's presence, mountains and islands. Why? Because they are masquerading as if they're solid forever. And it's after all, all temporal. But we are among those who are not like that. We have an unshakable faith. We know how to fear God. We know how to hear when God's word is being preached. We know how we have no business looking at anyone except ourselves. We say, Father, am I right with you? That's all I'm concerned about. Even before evangelism, even before doing things for God, other things, am I right with God Almighty? That's the question we must answer every day, every hour, every minute, every moment. Am I right with God? And we don't have to fear that the answer will be no when we're truly loving God. Always making him the priority. The answer will always come back. Yes. Hallelujah. Going back to Luke 22 during this Passion Week. This was that Judas in verse 3, Luke 22, 3. So this shows that a Christian can become fully possessed with the devil but then again, at that point, he has forfeited, or she has forfeited Christianity. Something was there. Little bit of flirt, just a little bit of flirtation. Little bit of flirtation with the world and loving the old life and reminiscing and letting pride come up. Why can't I act like before? You can't put me down. Watch this. You don't know where I came from. You don't know. Who I was, because if you knew, you wouldn't take my meekness for granted or my Christianity. Let me give you a taste of who I used to be. Put you in your place. Such things will cause Satan to prepare. There'll be a full preparation for the complete injection of his poison to a point of no recovery. Satan entered, once that entry happened, there was no place for repentance. And this, Leads us to the truth that we need to know that most people don't know. That you can be breathing and alive and not be able to repent. A person can get to a point of no return while they're hale and healthy. Breathing. But they've crossed that point. Like Esau. No place of repentance, even with a lot of tears. That's the dangerous reality. What do we do with all this? Oh, the preacher. Here he is with his preaching and his style. That's him. And the message is the message, but can we get to the testimonies, please? Because I'm really fired up about testimonies. I love it. I love to grin from ear to ear 
hearing this one talk about how what God did for him and her. Oh, I love it. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the whole meeting was on testimonies? Well, if it's genuine and the, the word of God is coming through the testimonies, people's faith uh, is being grown, yes, but we have the actual narrative that was breathed from God. Word of God. Every testimony has its place after the word of God. And because of the word of God. Otherwise, it'll become a popcorn buffet. We need the word of God. In our longing, Pastor and I, our longing is that everyone would understand how desperately we need every bit of God's word, not tune in and tune out when we feel like, according to our tastes. We come to a point where we say, Father, you know better than I do exactly what I need, Lord. Do you know that the Lord can speak something that we were not ready or expecting to hear or wanted to hear? But that very thing will save our necks from being broken. Because we're not wiser than Satan. Only God is. When we have the wisdom of God, he will protect us from things that we are not aware of. And I've said this before. Sometimes something will come up right after the word of God. And we'll be prepared for it. Because we heard and we listened, we obeyed. Going back. Just a few more minutes. Satan entered into Judas. Who? This apostle. Former apostle. Now, can a Christian be possessed by the devil? How is that possible if the Holy Spirit is within the believer? I thought light and darkness cannot commune. Can God and Satan coexist? No. So what happened? Well, that real Christian opened the door more and more and more. To the point where the Holy Spirit was grieved and he knew this person wants the devil more than me. And the Spirit of God moves away. As he moves away, the cobra comes in for the kill. Because no longer does this Christian, quote unquote, have the protection and presence of God. That's how it happens. So the question is not whether a Christian a bona fide, full-fledged Christian, a real Christian, can have the devil come in and take residence while he has the Holy Spirit within him. But the question is, is there a possibility that a real, genuine Christian can potentially become demon-possessed fully? The answer is yes. But it's up to the Christian. Whether that Christian was watching and praying, watching out for flirting with the devil in the world, and utterly disgusted by that former behavior and rapport with the world and lifestyle. When they think about Hollywood, they feel like throwing up. What a scandal it would be if I would say this very sentence across the country and across the world in many churches. I'm not talking about every single person in Hollywood per se, 
I'm not talking about every single movie produced by Hollywood per se, but Hollywood and what it represents. If one would give an honest definition for Hollywood or Bollywood, as they have its counterpart in the East, surely a person who's honest would say, well, one of the descriptive words or definitions I can give for this Hollywood or Bollywood would be immorality. Adultery is flagrant. Not only on the screen do you see people handling each other physically who don't belong to each other by marriage covenant, but there are multitudes of relationships that are occurring. And sometimes these words have such a uh, a nice tone to them. An innocent tone, relationships. I like to talk about relationships. Perhaps we should say they have a multitude of harlotry, betrayal, lustful murder happening. That's what's happening. So now, if that's what Hollywood represents, and then you have these neutral words, acting and cinematography and lights and action, stage and sound man and special effects. Those are all the uh, sugar coating on the poison, you see. It's the Spirit of God that helps us see right through what is actually going on. What is it about? What do I have to do with it? Someone says, wow, you can make a Christian film while you're in Hollywood. That's true. It has been done. Glory be to God. But how often do you see it done? And whoever would be called into the field of filmmaking and acting. Meaning, this is the propensity they have, the talents. need to be very careful that we don't get contaminated in the process of trying to glorify God. It's a very, very fine line to walk for many people. Hence, it's best to stay away. So the Holy Spirit shows us what anything is about. If we want to know. But if we want to be lukewarm and tepid and love to be brainwashed and have blinders on and just go with the flow of the feeling of the moment, then we will fall. When people fall. The Lord helps us to understand what we are all about and what we're doing and why we do what we do. This man had an open door. And going, he talked, verse 4, with the chief priests and the commanders as to how he might deliver him up. Would you ever have thought that when Judas was called, he planned, you know, one day I'm going to betray this man, this Messiah, son of God. I can't wait. Only I'm counting down the calendar. Three years and six months. I'm ready. Oh boy. Is there going to be a big surprise and what a payday I'm going to have? No, no. The man was not like that when he was called. Hence the danger of changing to the point where we can actually deny the very Lord that bought us, as the scripture says. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, 
ungodly lusts, scoffers, even to the point of selling the Lord. May God have mercy upon us. Why on earth or in heaven's name would God ever record Judas' story? For our purposes, the Lord is telling us, don't turn out that way. Now, can I say, well, I'm a pastor and I follow the Lord. I love the Lord. My family follows the Lord. I'm in the word and God is with me. He's helping me. He's blessing me. He's using me. Uh, when I get to about Judas, yes, I, I know all about that. Can we get to what I want to? No. No. That's the beginning of the downfall, you see? Everyone needs every bit of God's counsel every time God gives it. Otherwise, we're setting ourselves up for further complacency and a rude awakening. Oh, may God help people in this church to broadcast the same thing you hear to your loved ones and to your pastors if you happen to frequent other churches. People who come to the meetings who don't belong here as a church member, though you could, but wherever you go, whether you go to youth camp somewhere, some retreat, may the fire of God's message go with you with the compassion of God to alert people lest they be in hell one day and they say, but you attended ELBIM. Why didn't you tell me what you knew? I could have been prevented from sliding down the slippery slope of self-complacency and tampering with sin. Nobody told me. My pastors didn't tell me. My Sunday school teachers didn't tell me. Oh, they can say all of that. No one told me. They all loved on me, you see. They coddled me in my sin. They always had donuts and coffee waiting for me. And little gatherings were warm and cozy. And we had Bible study. No one warned me that I was a Judas in the making. And here I am in hell. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Don't let the devil ever pull one over on you, beloved, saying that you're too harsh. Maybe you judged beforehand. No, if you see stink coming from a festering wound because a person is dabbling in sin, you must speak up and don't think that Satan's speaking the truth when he says you're judging. Back off. Because of love, you tell them how to get well. It's not by putting a band-aid, but by giving the strong medicine to kill the germs that are causing that festering wound. In going, he talked with the chief priests and the commanders as to how he might deliver them up. And they exulted. They rejoiced. My man, Judas. Now you're one of the good old boys club. Come on in, Judas. We know you're with that man. We hate his guts. But you've really shown your affection for us. Come on in. And they agreed to give him silver. And he fully consented and sought opportunity to betray him to them away from the crowd. How will you sell Jesus? In what way will you sell Jesus? Hopefully we'll say a vehement, no, Lord, no, Lord, never will I sell you. Notice what Peter says. Even if everybody, no, no, we don't talk about everybody else. That was one of the problems, wasn't it? Peter was thinking he's better than the rest. No, we humble ourselves and say, Lord, I don't know about other people. That's not my concern. As for me, oh my God, 
I'm watching myself, Lord. I'm never going to try to advise you, Lord. Take your side and rebuke you. No, no, no. My, my place is to be a good sheep. You are the shepherd, Lord. I will obey you. That's a good place to be in, the best place. I will never betray you, Lord. Because I love you, Lord. And I don't trust me. I trust you. You see, I don't trust my flesh. I can trust the new man that I've become because I'm walking with God, but not the flesh. May we never, ever sell the Lord Jesus for money or fame or relationship. And he fully consented and sought opportunity to betray him to them away from the crowds. And the day of the unleavened bread came on which the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John saying, having gone, prepare for us the Passover that we may eat. And they said to him, where do you desire that we prepare? And he said to them, behold, you going into the city, you will meet a man carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house where he goes in. And you will say to the housemaster of that house, The teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And that one will show you a large upper room which he has spread. Prepare there. And having gone, they found as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined and the twelve apostles with him. And he said to them with a desire, I desire to eat this Passover with you before my suffering. For I say to you that no more. I will not eat of it until when it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Never. I'm reading from the literal version. And taking a cup, giving thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you that I will not drink from the produce of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Never. And taking a loaf, giving thanks, he broke and gave to them saying, this is my body being given for you. This due to remembrance, to my remembrance. And in like manner, the cup, have, after having supped, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is being poured out for you. But behold, the hand of my betrayer on the table with me. And indeed, the Son of Man goes according as was determined, but woe, to that man. Oh, it's over for that man by whom he's betrayed. And they began to examine themselves who then it may be of them, the one being about to do this. They're shocked. What? I can't believe it. I can understand if you said somebody in the crowd, right here in this room, one of us 12. Oh my God. Oh my God. Betray you, Lord, to be crucified. And there was also a dispute among them who of them seems to be greater. Look at that simultaneously. The flesh wasn't crucified. Well, they got shocked about this statement. They also thought, well, I'm better than you. And he said to them, the kings of the nations lorded over them. Oh, competition, brothers and sisters, beloved. May there be not a hint of competition in the house of God. That is a cancer that will kill the soul. Maybe not be people who find amusement directly or indirectly competing 
maybe not be juvenile, but maybe be mature and loving. Esteem others better than ourselves. Not flatter, but sincerely. At the same time, do the best we can to serve God. And he said to them, the kings of the nations lorded over them. And those exercising authority over them are called benefactors. But you be not so. But the greater among you, let him be as the lesser. How hard it is to be humble for many people. They have to show their true colors. Well, you can't talk to me that way. You give me that tone, watch this tone coming back at you. You irritate me. I'm going to let you know that you irritate me. To be humble. To let it go. And further than that, love in return. The Lord says, love your enemies. How much more in the household of faith if somebody has caused some kind of abrasion for you? The Lord says, what did you learn by being with me anyway? They shall know you by your love. That you're my disciples truly. But you be not so. But the greater among you, let him be as the lesser. And the one governing as the one serving. For who is greater, the one reclining or the one serving? Is it not the one reclining? But I am in your midst as one serving. I mentioned this again. People grow in stages. And often the stage at which we are currently depends upon how much we have humbled ourselves before God to do what he said and humble ourselves before man. And so at a function, you may have a believer who is very much proud and arrogant into himself or herself actually serving. And they are so thankful that they've changed and so are others. And you know what? They go to serve the pastors. What are they serving? Oh, various things. Maybe they're helping with something. Maybe it's a literal serving of a plate of food for a celebration. Serving the pastors. Well, they feel wonderful because we're serving the servants of God. They're close to God and I love serving them. And then they have to turn to the next person. Lo and behold, this person may be the person that person that they least like in the church. They just don't get along, just don't feel the same vibes and wavelength. And guess what? I have to serve this person. Person's not even sensitive to me, not even nice. And there the stage of growth will be revealed. If I'm able to love the person, even if the person came across rude to me, or I perceived it as such, but I say, Lord, for your sake, I will serve not just with a smile on the outside, but a heart on the inside that loves that person and prays, Lord. Bless them, Lord. Help them to know your love and help them to see you in me. For who is greater, the one reclining or the one serving? Is it not the one reclining? But I am in your midst as one serving. 
You know, people can tell a lot with their eyes. When you look at a person's eyes, often you can tell a lot in the movement of the eyes. There are certain people, the eyes move a lot because they're looking up and down, they're assessing the situation, and they're making judgments, and they're also preparing themselves for certain actions because of the worth that they perceive of a certain person within the church. All faulty before God. May we calm down, be peaceful before God and before man, be humble and say love is so much easier. I just want to love anyone and everyone, Lord. And I do want to humble myself before you and everyone. This is God's way, beloved. This is God's way. But I am in your midst as one serving. But you are those continuing with me in my temptation. And I appointed a kingdom to you as my father appointed to me. That you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. And you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Do you notice something here, beloved? Maybe you've never noticed this before. He's telling the 12 people in front of him, around him, including the rascal, the serpent, Judas. How could that be? He's saying to him also. He knows what's going to happen. This further shows that the Lord did everything possible to continue to do the Father's will and not expose this rascal until the time came. Of course, every one of those men, for that matter, the other 11 had to prove by their continued obedience. You see, otherwise, this tremendous, unique privilege and prophecy would not come true in their lives. Isn't that right? Peter had to follow through. He had to repent when he betrayed the Lord. John and James had to humble themselves, these sons of thunder. They had to do what they had to do to show and prove themselves worthy. Otherwise, God could replace all of them. Why not? Is God a respect to a person's? How carefully we must walk with the Lord. We must remember he's God Almighty. He's God Almighty. He's full of love. But he will not be betrayed. And not punished. And throw that person away from him forever. We have to know that. Even John, the beloved disciple and apostle, this young man who leaned upon Jesus' chest, what a beautiful picture of the relationship that this specimen and segment of humanity had with the Creator. Exemplified by John literally leaning, he was, he was in the habit of leaning upon the chest of the Savior. Oh, how I wish I could have done that. 
Jesus is my everything. Don't you wish? Don't you? Aren't you drawn by that picture? It really happened. The truth is, one day we'll be in his embrace forever. But now we can lean upon him by faith and love and obeying him. Those are the people really closest to him anyway. So even John had to continue and finish obeying the Lord in order for him to become one of those judging the 12 tribes of Israel in the next life. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, look at the warning. Satan has asked for you. Satan asked for you, for you to sift you as wheat. He got Judas. Satan, that serpent is looking there. Who do I get next? Can you imagine that? Somebody in our church, Satan's got one of them. And he's looking around to see who else can I get? It's real. Oh, he's let loose for a season. He's prowling around like a lion. Yeah, every day. His thrill and what he has on that chalkboard for his class of demons is kill this guy and this gal in this church. Leave the other churches alone because they're doing Hollywood, you see, while celebrating Easter. They love me. I love them. I have no problem with them. But these are threats to my kingdom. Anybody have any suggestions how I can kill more people in Yabea? This church. And so the plan is being drawn up. The play is being uh, displayed. And every time it doesn't work. You know why? Because the faithful are gathering to hear God's word. Oh, when the faithful don't gather together in God's presence, Satan is setting up shop. For sure. For sure. Unless one of our brothers and sisters are really, really sick. If they opt to trade God's presence, but they come and grin and say hallelujah. Knowing full well they've chosen family and hobbies and other things over God's presence, despising it. But like a Judas outside, hallelujah, praise God, I'm one of the crowd and I'm faithful. God will make sure, as we heard the prophecy one morning recently, the fake will lose its strength and it'll be brought out to the open. Very dangerous. Why even bother? I, I can't comprehend it actually. Why even bother to pretend? Why not just say I'm not interested rather than in and out? Well, that's God's job. He'll take care of it. But we pray when we see those symptoms of pastors. It grieves us. Day and night we pray. For this household of faith, this is our charge, our responsibility. That no one would despise God's warnings or his commandments, take his prophecies for granted, or play with any responsibility and privilege they've been given with. The fear of God will be there before the Lord and for his servants. They go hand in hand. Not a sense of equality and privilege to the point of making decisions. And the Lord said, who? This man, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah, Peter, rock, little stone, Petra, Petros, Petros, 
little stone, but nonetheless, a man who would be unwavering in time to come. As we see in Acts chapter 1, as I quoted. But at this point, he was in danger of losing everything. And the Lord said at this intimate last supper, Simon, can you hear your name, beloved? Are you above that? Are you and I above God's warning? Oh, may not be ever so. Could God be cautioning you this very evening? Put your name in there. If your name is Harry, 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 behold. Satan asked for you to sift you as wheat. But I entreated concerning you that your faith might not fail. And when you have turned back, confirm your brothers. In other words, why even bother to tell Simon that Satan is planning this if the Lord already prayed and it's a done deal? The human will is still involved. The done deal is commensurate with the warning and the appeal being heeded. But God already knew that Peter is not going to take this lightly. And he would weep bitterly, never ever do it again. See, the Lord knows his foreknowledge. But he had to do the right thing. And he said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go both to prison and to death with you. Another gospel we hear, even if all these others desert you, I'll never desert you. And he said, Peter, I say to you, a cock will not crow today before you will deny knowing me three times. And he said to them, when I sent you without a purse or a wallet or sandals, did you lack anything? And they said nothing. Then he said to them, but now the one having a purse, let him take it. Likewise, also a wallet. And the one not having, let him sell his garment and let him buy a sword. It's the showdown. It's the final act right here. Now I'm I'm going to be separated from you for the very purpose I came into the world. And uh, things are going to change now. Because it's the hour of darkness. And I want you to do it this way now. See? The Lord, we heard this recently also. That one size doesn't fit all. The counsel that God gives to you, don't try to take that and give it to someone else or do vice versa. Oh, how easy it is just to be like little children, just follow what God says to do. It's when people get excited, I start roaming around. What is he doing? What are they doing? What are... Curiosity kills the cat far more it kills the Christian. It really does. Because it's from Satan. I wonder why he's doing it. Putting thoughts, and you see, there's a contagious disease of curiosity that will draw others into that mix also to hurt them spiritually. It's better to keep our mouths shut. Observe and speak to the Lord and say, Lord, do you want me to say anything? You know, even one or two words can cause great damage. As harmless as they may seem, and with an expression of tenderness and sympathy and care and concern, you know, don't you think, oh, that's how a lot of trouble starts. Don't you think, wouldn't we be careful that you're not the cause of your husband's fall because you keep suggesting things. 
Be careful you're not the cause of your wife's fall because you keep questioning things. Be careful you're not the cause of your brother's sister's fall for the same reasons. Oh, Lord, help us to be people who know how to talk to you far more than we talk to each other. And then when we do talk to each other, it will be edifying. There'll be nothing shady or carnal. Sometimes the most carnal of intentions and insinuations can come across under a veneer of spiritual, sympathetic, loving talk. For I say to you that this has been written, that has been written must yet be fulfilled in me. Verse 37. And he was numbered with the lawless. Isaiah 53, 12. For the things concerning me also have an end. And they said, Lord, behold, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. It's similar to the bread situation. Or Peter, rather, saying that, Lord, wash my whole body. After the Lord said, you have no part with me if I don't wash your feet. He said, well, wash my whole body then. No, 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 Peter. Just your feet is enough. Washing your feet is enough. He said, by his sword. He said, we got two of them. That's enough. And going out according to his custom, he went to the Mount of Olives. Today in Israel, of course, you can see that. Very close. Close, I should say. To the vicinity. Where they had the Last Supper. And Herod's palace. Hall. Judgment Hall. And all these things right there. Very small area, relatively speaking. One day, God willing, we'll visit there with our church. and Perhaps with the Life Training School. The very place where God walked. The living God walked 2,000 years ago. The very place where it's not much changed at all. The very narrative of reading really happened in that place. And going out according to his custom, he went to the Mount of Olives and his disciples also followed him. And having come on the place, he said to them, pray. Look at how many warnings, how many things do you see, beloved? We're so used to looking at this with the lens of Christianese perspective. Yeah, there's Lent. Um, there's that Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, and you know, the same old, same old. I'm up for it. I like it. But have you ever heard the very warnings of God during this very time when he was going to suffer and die for us? Look at the love of God. I wonder if those warnings have just gone past our notice with all the emphasis that God has given. All the repetition. We just heard about Judas. Then he warned Simon. Now he's talking to disciples. Pray that you don't enter. You mean, you mean Satan can come all the way? Even right to the cross? Yeah. He's after you and after me this very second actually. We must be alert. One of the best ways to be alert is to control our mouths so that we don't cause ourselves to stumble nor others around us, especially believers. 
Meaning, let us say words that are from God, edifying. Not, you know, I think, and we, oh, beloved, we need to become like Jesus. Set our face like a flint, even with your closest loved ones, even in the church. Learn not to look. As we read recently also, I read a passage, henceforth know we him, even Jesus, whom we lived with in the flesh. He said, we don't even know him after the flesh anymore. What? What do you mean? Don't let expressions grab your attention. Don't let mannerisms and words, even spiritually sounding words, distract you. Understand and discern. Is this coming from the Holy Spirit or not? Even this soft, sweet suggestion. Then we'll be alert. We'll never fall. We'll actually save the other people who are being used by the devil, even within the church. To do what? Counter God's directions. Ever so slightly, a little bit of latitude, a little bit of elbow room, pretty soon. Guess what? I know what I'm doing. Pride comes before the fall. And having come on the place, he said to them, pray that you do not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw. And having placed the knees, that's what the scripture says in the literal version, having placed the knees, he prayed. Saying, Father, if you purpose it, take away this cup from me. Not my will be done, but let yours be done. And an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more intently. And his sweat became as drops of blood falling down onto the earth. And the, the song that God gave Pastor Kerba, very unique, very powerful song. The earth cried in disbelief. The horror of what was happening to Jesus. And rising up from the prayer, coming to his disciples, he found them sleeping from grief. He didn't say, oh, you know how a lot of mothers and fathers, Christians, they look at their children or the others, who are not right spiritually. They think, well, it's better than what they used to do. Oh, look at them sleeping. They're probably sad. Leave them alone. That's not the Lord's approach at all. It says he found them sleeping from grief. He knew. The grief made them sleep. But his reaction was very different from most people in the churches. And he said to them, why do you sleep? Why do you, what do you mean, why do you sleep? Sor sorrow has taken over me, Lord. You know why I'm sleeping. It's not because I'm lazy. It's too much. It's too much. Oh, this Christian life is too much. I need a lollipop. I need a pity party. I need to call someone, brother or sister, who can really... Love on me while I'm going through this. Uh, we're not talking about legitimate situations. We all need support. But the situations where we're supposed to be 
spiritually alert. That's why the Lord says, why do you sleep? Rising up, pray that you do not enter into temptation. As he was yet speaking, behold, a crowd and the one called Judas, one of the twelve, came in front of them and drew near to Jesus in order to choke him, strangle him? No. Point the fingers and there he is. Lord Jesus, sorry. I had to do what I had to do. The money's good. He drew near to Jesus in order to kiss him. Oh, Rabbi. And Jesus said to him, Judas, do you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And those around him seeing that about to occur, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with a sword? And a certain one of them struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his right ear. And answering, Jesus said, allow it until this. And touching his ear, he healed him. The very enemies, compassion of the Lord. How much love do and I, you and I have anyway? At what point does our love turn sour? The Lord keeps showing us love goes the distance. Yet truth is not forsaken. They go together. And Jesus said to those coming upon him, chief priests and commanders of the temple and elders, have you come out with swords and clubs as against a robber? When I was with you day by day in the temple, you did not stretch out your hand on me. But this is your hour and the authority of the darkness. Similar to what he would say to Pilate. You have no authority unless it was given to you from above. I know what's happening. And laying hold of him, they led him away and led him into the house of the high priest. And Peter followed at a distance and lighting a fire in the middle of the courtyard and they sitting down, Peter sat in their midst. Now he was loyal, but he had no spiritual spine at this point. And a certain female slave, seeing him sitting near the light, and looking intently at him, she said, and this was, this one was with him. But he denied him, saying, woman, I do not know him. And after a while, another seeing him said, you also are of them. And Peter said, but Peter said, man, I'm not. About an hour intervening, a certain other one boldly charged, saying, truly, this one also was with him, for he also is a Galilean. Figure it out from his speech. And Peter said, man, I do not know what you say. Immediately, while he yet spoke, the cock crowed. And turning, the Lord looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he told him, before cock would crow, you will deny me three times. And going outside, Peter wept bitterly. And the men who were holding Jesus mocked him, beating him, and blindfolding him. They were striking his face, questioning him, saying, prophesy, who is the one stinging you? And blaspheming many other things they said to him. And when day came, it happened all through the night, the body of elders of the people 
the chief priests and scribes were gathered, and they led him away into the Sanhedrin, this group of rulers, ruling judges, saying, If you are the Christ, tell us. And he said to them, If I tell you, you will in no way believe. And also, if I ask, in no way will you answer me or let me go. From now on, the Son of Man will be sitting at the right hand of the power of God. And they all said, Then you are the Son of God. And he said to them, You say it because I am. And they said, Why do we yet have need of witness? For we ourselves heard it from his mouth. Praise be to God. What the Lord has spoken may penetrate our hearts that we may be valiant soldiers knowing the price of what it really means to follow Jesus, to live holy, blameless, lives full of love, full of the truth, being well aware of our own flesh, being humble, considering ourselves as the lowest, esteeming others better than ourselves, never flattery, but a sincere self-appraisal before the Lord, that we may fulfill the charge God has given us with great joy. Who for the joy that was set before him, the Bible says, endured, what did he endure? The cross. He sat at the right hand of the power on high. That's what God has for each of us, just like he told the apostles. But each one of us in our own sphere of existence and influence, we need to know if we're really redeeming the time. How do we spend our time? The Lord said the days are evil. Are we redeeming the time by doing what God wants us to do? Or do we have these openings where we can do what we want to do? Hence, enter the dragon, the devil. This church will grow in tremendous maturity. More and more, as God has brought everyone a long way. If we learn to practice the art of careful consideration before we speak, so that the pristine water of life will come forth from our mouths, not only in the church setting, but in our very homes. Really consider if the words we're speaking are going to do spiritual good. Or can it open up a can of worms where doubt will come into someone and suspicion and all kinds of things, even through a nice, sentimental, soft suggestion. Many wives are responsible for the spiritual downfall of their husbands. The wives being Christian. Many husbands also for the downfall of their wives. It's best for us to say, Lord, let me never be a stumbling block to my own family, nor to the church of God. And to the contrary, say, Lord, help me to wait on you, Lord, and to really pray and think what do you want me to do and say? And leave this juvenile way of thinking, which, by the way, characterizes much of the church world today, these cursed last days, where people 
people act on impulse and it becomes a comedy and becomes fashionable. And No, don't be fashionable with the crowd, even the Christian crowd. Be different. Be like your master because he stood out. You can see that right there in the upper room. The closest people on earth to him, he stood out from them too because they were still immature. Pride and position, arguing and backbiting, and a whole lot of mess. God didn't give that to us so that we can say, well, I guess I'm just like them. No, he says, don't be like them because what I want you to be is how they were post-baptism of the Holy Spirit. And living a life of self-denial, spreading the word. The very same Peter would say, love each other with a fervent love. It's got to be a deep love. At the same time, never ever compromise the truth. Be true to God yourself. Encourage others to be true. Hallelujah. Praise be to God.